The dark and macabre have intrigued us for years, but are their bewitching powers waning? The old greats such as Poe, Lovecraft, and Hitchcock have long since passed into the void. The masters of the 1970s like James Herbert and George Romero are gone. Stephen King and John Carpenter are in their twilight years. So where does that leave the current state of horror? The future is bright and author Thomas Gloom hopes to unveil this truth by discussing the genre's past and present. Settle back, get comfortable, and remember to leave a light on as you enter into the gloom. They come in all shapes and sizes. Some have loose grips while others bring a stranglehold, flesh-piercing claws included. They can be mental or physical, yet are easily denied by many within their grasps. I'm talking about addictions. Horror, whether it's literature or film, is no stranger when it comes to the topic, which is what you'd expect from a genre that has no fear in uncovering the dark, the taboo, and the difficult. We've met the struggling alcoholic Jack Torrance in The Shining, the sex-crazed Frank Cotton in The Hellbound Heart, and the pill-popping Sarah Goldfarb in Requiem for a Dream. Addiction can often be terrifying, which is why it's found a comfortable home within this particular genre. Yet, reading a book or watching a film doesn't have to be merely about entertainment. Sometimes, scary stories have a way of offering new insights on the pain and hopelessness that accompanies addiction. Fiction can offer the control needed to fight demons. At times, stories are a playground for our minds, but they can also be workout rooms where we find the strength to face real-life fears. On today's episode of the Into the Gloom podcast, we'll be looking at the horror of addiction. I'll be interviewing my spooky friend and fellow horror author, Christopher Badcock. Join us, dear listeners, as we discuss the darkness of addiction, but also the reminder that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Welcome, Christopher. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Thomas. Um, a little nervous. This is my first time, so be gentle. Um, yes. But yeah, but yeah, ex- excited. To be here. Well, good. Um, I'll, I'll let you know that being a little nervous is natural, especially if it's your first podcast interview. But even for me, you know, I, I've been doing this for a little while now. I get a little bit nervous and I forget things like I did in Michael Goodwin's episode and like I did right now, where I, I forgot to put my my on brand sunglasses Ooh, on and my the, the iconic, the that. iconic look that we've all come to know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. I'm excited to, in a little bit, we're going to talk about your debut novel, which I, I think that this specific topic is um, very on brand um, in connection with, with that novel. I give, when, when I have somebody coming on to the podcast, I want to give them the opportunity, if they so choose, to, um, you know, sort of direct the ship and choose the topic or the theme. And so you chose the horror of addiction. And I've come to understand that addiction can be a lot like football. 
um, its definition can differ quite widely from person to person, right? I mean, you across the pond talking about football and me in America talking about football, our, our minds are going to go into different directions. So for the sake of clarity, as we begin this discussion, what is your definition of addiction? Uh, you had to start with a tough question like that, didn't you? Um, I mean, I think that's, I think that that's the whole point of it, you know, is that that, that what you've said there, that it's, that it's different for, for a lot of people. Um, I mean, you used football as a, as a comparison there. I mean, you know, football here is called football because we use our feet, Thomas, um, you know, (laughs) for for the whole game, Um, uh, you know, not, not to, you know, talk ill of American football because I do, I I, I do enjoy it. I'm a Saints fan myself. Um, But I've, I've had some experience with addiction um, in particular, you know, sort of, you know, the, the, the drug side of it, uh, which, you know, maybe we can touch on a bit later on, but, you know, in, in preparation for this, I kind of, I, I looked at, um, you know, the synonyms that, mm. that, that come with addiction and, you know, the, the, the other words that, that sort of, that, that you can use in, um, instead of addiction, you know, are, you know, range from sort of compulsion, which you mentioned earlier, you know, habit, you know, which, which of course is the, the word that's used most commonly when, when we talk about heroin, you know, junkies have a bit of a habit, don't they? Um, dependency as well. That's another synonym mm. of, of addiction. And I think when you start to kind of open it up like that, it kind of it, it's more than just sort of you know being addicted to a drug you can be dependent on a person um you know you can have a compulsion to lie or you know you mentioned um the sex crazed you know dude from hellraiser um well the hellbound heart so i think it's it's kind of i mean yeah you know for me there's that kind of personal angle on it but at the same time it it just it means so much it's 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 a wide reaching thing yeah for sure and you know i like how you brought that up that a lot of the times when we talk about addiction um you know in in modern society usually people's minds go to drugs uh, maybe alcohol but like you said there are different things that we are dependent on um and and have certain compulsions towards i know that right now in the the current state of the world and i think it's been maybe exacerbated through the pandemic but there's a lot of talk about screen addiction or social media addiction and it's really interesting that when you do a little research and you look into the the machines behind social media and how it has been essentially created in a way to make us addicted with all the little notification banners and and all of that and the like button it's it's meant to give us these little dopamine hits i i think that this is a perfect time in history to be having this conversation because like you said it's very vast and it doesn't have to be about one specific topic have you ever heard of uh michael pollan um but the like the adventurer um title for him he's I guess you could call him that i mean he's he's a journalist but he also travels he did um how to change your mind is one of his most uh recent books but then he also did the omnivore uh, omnivores dilemma and in defense of food 
But anyways, he put out a, I think it initially was just audiobook only. But anyways, last year I listened to the audiobook and it was simply just called Caffeine. And he was talking about caffeine. And now his most recent book, I think it's called Your Mind on Plants, where he put that in, but talked about a few other things that we can, um, you know, become addicted to. But he talks about and breaks it down to the point of, of saying that, you know, caffeine is the substance that 95% of all of humanity is addicted to. And Absolutely. Yeah. I think I've read that before that it's the most, you know, it's the most addictive substance on the planet. Yeah. I'm addicted to coffee. I, yeah. I cannot go a day without a cup of coffee. Yeah. And it's not like you don't, when you think of somebody who is a coffee user, you don't think of them strung out in a ditch somewhere. Um, you don't think of them essentially setting a bomb to their entire life and all of their relationships, but it's still an addiction. And I think that one of the easiest ways I, you, you just touched on it, but to know if, if you are addicted to something is when you stop using it, do you have any withdrawal symptoms, whether they are physical, whether they are mental, whether they are emotional. And so, you know, when you think about it that way, you can essentially be addicted to anything. I, I think that for, for a long time, when addiction was talked about, it was only talked about from a physical sense. If, mm -hmm. if, if it wasn't a physical addiction, if there wasn't a, a, a negative physical manifestation when you stopped using something, well, then it wasn't an addiction. But now our, our understanding of these things has broadened to the point where like, yeah, we could be addicted to anything, even good things. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point that you make. And I think like caffeine is caffeine is still kind of, I guess, sort of it's it's an everyday invisible addiction, you know, and, and like you say, it's not viewed. There's no kind of taboo association with with caffeine. Um, you know, I think an another example that perhaps has started to become a bit taboo is sugar, you know, that with with mm. sort of, you know, the the obesity crisis that I mean, we have an obesity crisis in the UK. And I know that you guys over in the States have have the same thing yep. and that that's kind of that sort of created that um that kind of that stigma around sugar as as a as a bad thing to be addicted to now and that's i mean sugar's in a ton of different things isn't it and everybody's got a sweet tooth haven't they you know even even the health nuts um like a bit of chocolate every now and again but yeah you, you do you make a good point that you you can literally be addicted to anything anything and i guess it you know when we bring it back to the point that I was making about the synonyms and, and, you know, and the, another, another word for addiction is habit. Everybody has a habit, mm -hmm. you know, and, and some people have, you know, have, have, have good habits, have healthy habits, you know? Um, and a lot of people have bad habits. Uh, you know, for some people it might be waking up and going to the gym, uh, you know, every, every day or having, having an obsession with drinking a certain amount of water, even if it's something good, it, it, it can still be an addiction. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a far reaching thing, you know, essentially what we, what, what we like in, in, in books and film is when, when it explores the darker side of addiction, right? Um, you know, we don't, we don't like to watch a film or read a book about a guy that's obsessed with, with his fitness or, or other, I say that, but American psycho, you know, Patrick Bateman was pretty, I mean, he he had quite a lot of addictions. I guess mm -hmm. he was he was obsessed with that with that life that healthy lifestyle and was it the skincare routine that he went through every single day? But then also he liked to 
you know you like to kill people and eat parts of them sometimes yeah it's yeah. like he had all those addictions but when it came to the skin care and the body care it's like that's sort of you know a funny thing when we when we read that or we watch the movie but then the other addictions were just appalled by them like this is terrible and and so there's there's nuance anytime we talk about mm. addiction there's going to be nuance but like you brought up we're, we're here to talk about the horror of addiction and and i think that when we have this conversation and broaden it to the concept that you could literally be addicted to anything, that's a bit horrifying. That can be a little bit scary. Um, and the other thing is too, is that because of the taboo that is associated, I think with that word addiction, it's become a scary thing to share. If you have an addiction, it's scary to share that because people are now going to view you in a, in a certain way. You know, addiction is a fairly common trope within the horror genre. So why do you think that is? I mean, well, I, I guess, first of all, the, the point that you've made there about the, I guess, sort of the stigma around being addicted. I think it's very easy, myself included, to talk about an addiction after the fact, you know, mm. after recovery. Yeah. Um, I guess it feels like a bigger thing to be able to say, you know, I had this issue and I overcame it rather than saying I'm in it now. But I guess I, th I think, you know, it, in terms of why it's why it's explored so much in in media, flawed characters make the best kind of characters, don't they? And and addiction is is a flaw. And it kind of it can either make you hate a character or, or or root for them, and 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 it's a fine line, you know. It's a fine line that I trod with with my own novel and my own protagonist. But I, I, yeah, I guess that that would be that would be the main reason that, that that we see so many, I guess, characters in in literature and and in film that are that are living with an addiction. It's it's so that we either root for them or we hate them or, or we fear them, you know, in some mm, respects, yeah. Patrick Bates, somebody like Patrick Bateman, you know, you we should fear him. Although, like you said, you know, we, we kind of find him amusing at times as well. So it was, it was, it was a great thing that um, Brett, Brett Easton Ellis did with that character. That's the main reason we see it so much. Yeah. And those, we like to see the redemption arc as well. A yeah. lot of the times it's. And we don't always, we don't like, always see the redemption. And sometimes that's fun as well. You yeah. know, sometimes sometimes that's fun as well. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's sad. I was going to I was going to mention something then, but I'd, it would be a spoiler for that particular book. But to follow someone on their journey to redemption is, is, a, is a wonderful thing. And and yeah, you know, likewise, sometimes it can be fun to watch someone, you know, on ultimately a doomed path. Yeah. Sorry. Carry on. I jumped in. No, 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 no. That's fine. You brought up spoilers. So I'm going to say this for our listeners. There are probably going to be some spoilers here about Breaking Bad, the show, because I want to bring that up. You, you, when we were talking before, you had mentioned that, and it's one of my all-time favorite shows. And so I want to talk specifically about the character of Jesse Pinkman, because when that show begins, he is just a failure, essentially. In, yeah. in the eyes of society, he was a failure. He was a burnout. He was a bum. He was just selling drugs and, 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 and smoking drugs. And then he, he reconnects 
with his old high school chemistry teacher. And so, you know, the, the main the main thrust is they start making meth and selling meth. But it's interesting that he starts that show as just this burnout, but it wasn't super serious per se. I mean, he was drinking, he was smoking weed and, you know, stuff like that. But then as the show goes on, he eventually becomes addicted, like straight up addicted to heroin. And I mean, he I mean, he's shooting up heroin. Mm. It gets worse and worse and worse for him. But then he's able to come out of that and 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 conquer it. But then as the show goes on, and I, I won't go into too many details in the spoilers later on, but you have this character who when you first are introduced to him, you think he's hit rock bottom, but he hasn't. And then as the, you know, a few seasons in, then you think he's hit rock bottom, but he hasn't. And then he, and it's just like, it gets worse and worse. What's amazing about it is that in a lot of ways, his character arc is still on an upward trajectory in his mind and who he is as a person, there is a lot of growth, even though he's literally in a lot of these instances going through hell to get to that point. So when, when you think of, of Jesse Pinkman, like what, what are some of the things that, that pop up into your mind? What draws you to that character specifically? At the start of the series, you, you think that this guy's an absolute mess. He, he's, he's at rock bottom and then actually, no, he's not. This guy is going to take it down a few more levels. And I think for me, because, because of the amount of time that you spend with him in that series and what you sort of learn about him, even when he gets worse and worse and worse, you're, you're always kind of, you're, you're, you're rooting for him. Mm-hmm. And this, it, bring, it comes back to that point about why addicts make such great characters in media is that if they're done well, you are rooting for them. Even when they do the wrong thing, you're still rooting for them and wanting them to claw it back. And I think with Jesse Pinkman as well, he, he wasn't an idiot. You know, he was, he was, he was actually quite an intelligent guy. And there were, there were a few moments throughout the show where he kind of, he showed that intelligence and he was funny. He was well as well. He was really funny. And, and that's always an endearing thing with anyone. Right. You know, I always, I always think of whenever anybody mentions Breaking Bad, I always think of the episode with the fly in the meth lab mm. uh, and him trying to catch it. And or well, the moment when he was like blowing all of the hot air into the, into the, into the hazmat suit that he was wearing. Yeah. With, with Jesse, even though he was such a, he was in such a mess, he was just such a lovable character, you know, even down to the way that he spoke and, and the words that he used Science, bitch. <laughs> exactly. Magnets. <laughs> There's a level of innocence to him. There, and, and, and some, in certain instances too, like naivety. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, that can be endearing. But I think that you spend so much time with the character and you get to know so much about him and about his past and about his family dynamic and all of that, that you can't help for, but pull for him and you have sympathy for him. And I think that that is the key to all of this. And that is what is also can be very, very scary when it comes to addiction is that 
nobody chooses to become an addict. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I want to be addicted to sex. I want to be addicted to work. I want to be addicted to black tar heroin. Nobody wakes up and chooses that. But it is very human that as we are put into difficult situations, when we are experiencing experiencing brokenness, whether it's in ourselves and our relationships, um, family dynamics, that when we're when we go into those dark places, that it is just human for us to want to find some way to escape. And whether that means fighting through it, whether that means just literally running and ignoring it, it, it can manifest in different ways. And so I think that for a lot of people that end up getting addicted to this thing or that thing, what starts is them just looking for an escape, looking for a reprieve, looking for some comfort amongst the, the horrible situation that they might find themselves in. And that is very human. And that is, it, it, we should all be very sympathetic and empathetic towards those types of individuals. And I think that a lot of the times we are when it comes to media, maybe when we see that person on the side of the street, maybe for some of us, we haven't gotten to that point yet. But when we can sit with a character in a book or a movie or a TV show and learn their backstory, then we can start to see through the addiction and see the person that is being affected by the addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, yeah, I don't think there's, I mean, you, you said there that that, that that happens in media and I can't, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any book or film where there hasn't been an element of understanding, you know, the time, the time taken by the creator of whatever that is, a film or a book to, to, to sort of weave in the reasoning behind why that particular character is addicted. And that in itself is kind of, I think, part of the horror of it is that it could happen to anyone, you know, yeah. no matter what position you are in, how comfortable or successful you, you feel you are, through any kind of course of events, you could wind up the same sort of position as, as the, you know, somebody like Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've seen it. You look at certain celebrities, mm. uh, you think about Usher, the musician, was very open about his sex addiction. And that it was uh, negatively affecting his life and his relationships and his mindset and ultimately his career. From the outside looking in, you think like, oh, he's got it all together, you know, but he didn't. There, there was a struggle. And that was one that, you know, he was maybe able to hide um, a, a little bit. But then there are others. There's Morrison from the doors and his and his lsd stuff and you know there's there's bowie bowie was you know addicted to i mean you know a lot of musicians throughout i don't know i guess from sort of the 60s through to the 80s were either on you know some kind of hallucinogenic or you know cocaine or anything like that i mean you brought up usher initially thomas i the, the last thing i thought would come up on this podcast was usher's sex addiction mm. so well done for <laughs> that yeah conversation. I mean, like I said, it's such a, it's a broad topic. It is. But what, yeah. What's interesting now, too, is that I'm not well versed of, of how things are in the UK with this. So you can you can maybe share share on on that perspective. But I know that in America right now, there is an opioid crisis. And even beyond that, I mean, just pharmaceuticals in general. You have something that is 
prescribed by doctors. That is, for, for many people, they trust their doctors to make them well. They trust their doctors to heal them, not cause more damage. And so we have these drugs that are being prescribed to people who maybe have a surgery as simple as like a tooth extraction sometimes. And they are given these prescriptions. They do all the right things. They listen to their doctor. They fill the prescription. They take it only as prescribed. They don't mix it with alcohol, you know, whatever the thing might be. But then they still can get addicted. That is like a new level of horror because something that could be used for your health and healing and pain relief can eventually take a dark turn down yeah. a, another path. And even, you know, I have, I have friends that have, you know, they're addicted to hard drugs and they realize what is going on and they want to get over this addiction. They want to move on in their life. They want to gain back that freedom in order to do that. They're told, well, Hey, get on this prescription, take methadone. And then what often happens is they find themselves breaking away from that hard drug and becoming addicted to this pharmaceutical drug that is oftentimes even more addictive and the withdrawal symptoms are even more dangerous. And it's just like, holy shit, this is terrifying. What, what a horror that we live in. So I, I don't know. I, I know that with, within the media here, um, it's, it's finally being talked about on a broader scale in terms of the, the pharmaceutical um, industry and, and some of the crooked stuff that they have done to get Americans addicted. Um, is, is there a similar thing going on in the UK? I guess kind of. So, I mean, I know I know all about big pharma. I guess, you know, most sort of learned or woke people over here know about big pharma and, and kind of and the issues that come with that. I guess over here, we it's it's not as bad because we have the uh, the National Health Service, the NHS, which I think for you guys was kind of Obama Obama aid. Is it mm -hmm. Obama aid? Obamacare? Um, he tried to do the same thing. So that thing he was trying to do, that's what we have here, the NHS. Um, we have the FDA, but it's very much, they have their own issues. And mm. sometimes if, if enough money is paid from certain individuals, then certain studies can be shelved or ignored or downplayed. And so essentially what, what happened for many years in America from big tobacco is now happening with big pharma. The evidence, the research, the studies, it's all there and it's all clear as day. But sometimes that it's not always um, shown to the public because it's yeah. not in the best interest of certain donors or certain people that are lining their pockets. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we don't necessarily have that in the UK that that's kind of, I guess, you know, corruption is, is a, is a strong word, but I guess, you know, we, we obviously do have some of that, but we don't have the same sort of level of, yeah. of corruption, at a, I guess, like a government level and, and within, within the healthcare system. I've known of people that have kind of become addicted to painkillers as part of whatever treatment they were undergoing for, you know, for example, I, I knew somebody that had broken their leg 
and he was put onto a course of painkillers, which he ultimately became addicted to. So that sort of thing that 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 happens over here, but it's in no way near the sort of scale that that I read about in the US. And like you say, it kind of it does really does come down to money over there. One hundred percent. There are pros and cons to capitalism. One of the biggest cons is that ultimately money is the guiding principle many times. Yeah. It's not, is this right or is this wrong? It's, will this bring in more money? Um, and, and so, yeah, that can easily lead to corruption. That can easily lead to outright lies. It's a big issue. And, you know, I just finished um, watching a documentary on HBO Max and it was looking at the life and especially the the final few months of the life of the rapper Juice World. Are you familiar with Juice World? Yeah, I mean, I it, I didn't listen to him, but I, yeah, I, I yeah, I'm familiar with sort of him and and sort of what happened. Yeah, and uh, essentially he was just addicted just addicted mm. the the level of pharmaceutical drugs that were found in his system it, it's it's crazy and this was a guy who wasn't even of legal age in america to go out and buy alcohol like he couldn't go into the liquor store and buy alcohol but he was very it was easy for him to get all of these drugs they are so readily available and i know that for me and in, in my own life um years ago you know i had my struggles with with drugs and there was a time and and thankfully it didn't last too long um but there was a time when you know pharmaceutical drugs were all the rage in my life and you know taking pills and it can get dark very very fast and yeah. for me it was oftentimes like it was harder to get alcohol. It was harder to get weed than it was to get these pharmaceutical drugs um, that were in the levels that I and friends were taking them and were literally just poison. Um, but the other thing too, is that because pharmaceuticals have, they're, they're sort of the elephant in the room in America right now. Um, it's the way that uh, especially kids are educated about them. It's not a full education. And, and um, America has a history of that. It's sort of, um, you, you can look at that with the, the, the debate that still rages concerning sex education in school. And there's an idea within the American culture that if you if you don't talk about something, then kids won't learn about it and kids won't, you know, do those things, uh, which is asinine in my mind. It's crazy. What, what you're doing is, is that as as parents, as teachers, you are taking the control away from yourself and allowing um, wh whether it's pornography, whether it's drug culture to sort of dictate the narrative to your kids. But anyways, so kids don't know about this stuff. And for me, I didn't know about this stuff. I didn't understand something that is now so basic in my understanding that mixing alcohol and Laura tabs 
um, or any sort of opiates, any sort of barbiturates that 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 is a deadly cocktail that you can go to sleep and never wake up. I didn't know that. And so there were numerous times in my life that I did overdose. I did OD. And thankfully, I'm still here. But I also have a lot of friends that did the same thing, and they're not still here. For for me, I can look back at my life and, and many of my friends' lives and say that a lot of what we were doing while it was fun, while it felt good, while maybe we were running from our own pain or problems or whatever, it still was rooted in ignorance. We just didn't know. When you when things aren't talked about, there's no way for you to know about them. It is it's it's a good point that you make, you know, when when something's not spoken about and it almost kind of, you know, and and the fact that it's not spoken about or it's hidden away and con- and controlled by grown-ups kind of makes it taboo and you know for a for a younger person that makes it even more desirable that that it almost increases their need to want to explore that and to want to find out more you know when when i was growing up we had we had this thing called dare it was which stood for drug abuse resistance education do you guys have that in america you're not yeah, in your head yeah we have that um yeah, so so we had you know we had some I don't know some fucking local police officer that came into the school once a month um, to talk about dare and it was it essentially the message was just say no you know yes. and that was kind of it that was kind of it that's all you kind of took away from it just say no and as a kid you kind of think well just say no well no you know you're telling me that and I kind of want to say yes yeah. why know? why yeah. should I just say no yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you you can't you 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 touched on your own sort of experiences with addiction there, and and I, you know, I I had my own experiences as well, which which kind of fueled some of the, you know, was I guess was some of the inspiration for my own book. You know, you you mentioned that it was harder to get alcohol, you know, and 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 it was the same for me over here. You know, when I was 16, 17, it was easier for me to get my hands on MDMA. You know, over mm-hmm. here, we call it ecstasy. Um, it was easier and actually most of the time cheaper for me to get my hands on that instead of, you know, a bottle of vodka or, you know, a bottle of whiskey. And, you know, and when I was younger, I kind of, I, I developed an addiction to that. And, and I actually got pretty bad with it as well. You know, I think for me, it was kind of a mixture of loneliness. You know, I did, I, I, I had some friends, but I kind of, you know, there were groups that were doing that. And I felt that I wanted to be a part of those groups. Yeah. Uh, that being a part of those groups would, I guess, somehow make my life better in some way, which were kind of when, you know, you look back and you think about a, a, a statement like that and you think that's absolutely ridiculous. But especially when you're younger, it's not. That's everything. You know, and I got really, and I got really bad with it. You know, I to the point where, you know, I was selling a lot of the stuff that I had, you know, my computer, all my CDs, my DVDs back then, uh, I'd be handing those over, you know, to a, to a certain dealer that I knew in order to get stuff. Um, and yeah, and I was pretty bad with it. And it was, I mean, randomly it was, you know, I, I, I worked at McDonald's at the time. I was so bad that the manager of, of the store became aware that I had a problem and he sat me down in the stockroom 
one shift and just sort of you know just said to me that I was that I was destined for better things and the and and that I needed to kind of try and just just break away from it break away from the people that I was that I was hanging around with and and doing the things that I was doing you know it wasn't just you know when you're doing something like that it kind of it can become not just about the drugs but the sort of stuff that you get up to yes alongside the drugs and and it was kind of it was that as well and that talk kind of that talk did me quite a lot of good to be honest with you yeah um and I did you know like you I managed to kind of get over it you know in later years i you know, dabbled in weed, which I know, you know, over there is legal in quite a few states, but over here, that's still a completely illegal thing. But again, you know, I'm that that's not something that I do anymore either. I mean, all that I do now is enjoy a drink every now and again. But, you know, I've, I've known people that have gone down really, really dark paths. And like you, I've known people that have overdosed, um, one or two that have not come back from it either. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of my own experiences, you know, inspired my book. Yeah. There's a lot to say, right? There is. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's go ahead and transition. It keeps, it keeps coming up and we keep kind of dancing around it. In August of, of last year, 2021, I read your debut novel, Those You Killed. And I'm pretty sure that I didn't even make it through the first chapter before saying to myself, this is um, experiential writing. For instance, I feel that you perfectly captured the lies that addicts often tell themselves with this quotation from your book. Because although neither of those things could be found in a syringe, peace could, and he needed peace. Just one more hit, a last fix. For now, he needed a hit. You've already touched on it that that there was a lot of inspiration from your own life um, that that led you to write this specific story. So that line in particular was that was that something coming from your own experience with addiction or somebody close by you? Like how, how did you come to put those words down on the paper? Yeah, I mean, I I would constantly tell myself lies. You know, I, I mentioned there that the store manager that sat me down and had that talk with me, he sort of said to me that I was destined for better things. And I think a large part of me knew that I was, and not, not in the sense of that I was destined for better things than McDonald's, you know, for people that work at McDonald's, it's, it's a job, you know, and, and anybody that works a job in my eyes deserves, deserves a lot of respect. But I think it was in the sense that I was destined for more than to just be doing that and, never looking, never looking forward, not having a plan Mm. for the future and always just all I, all I ever thought about. And I touch on this in the book as well. All I ever thought about was when that, when there was going to be that next pill or when there was going to be that next spliff, um, that next party. I think, yeah, there was, there was a part of me that, that always thought that I was destined for more than that. And, and every time I kind of, I would either, you know, take a pill or, or, or smoke a spliff, get high in any kind of way. I would tell myself that this doesn't matter, you know, this, this doesn't matter because I am, I am going to, to, to be better in the future so I can do this. So it makes it okay because one day I'm not going to be doing this, you know? And I think, I, I guess for me, that lie that I was telling myself was actually a bit of a truth because I managed to get over it. But for a lot of people, that lie is just a lie and yeah. they never, even if they are destined for better things, which most people are, you know, I, I'd say that almost everybody, everybody is, 
You know, everyone has something in them to offer the world. Some people just carry on telling themselves that lie. They never, ever, they never, ever actually grab the truth and sort of make, you know, make it a reality. And they just, yeah, they just live that lie. I've forgotten what question you asked. (laughs) No, I mean, you've answered it, really. Um, Just that that line it struck a chord with me because yeah, I, I, I relate, you know, and a lot of what you've said, you know, you're talking about getting rid of stuff in order to get drugs. There's a song and there's the, the movie up in smoke with Cheech and Chong. And, you know, as a kid watching that, it was funny. But then as I got older, I realized the truth, you know, that it very quickly, everything in your life, if you allow it can go up in smoke. And I found myself, selling my DVDs and selling video games. And then when I didn't have any video games or DVDs, well, why do I need my Xbox and selling my Xbox and, you know, then uh, finding stuff that I could sell that, you know, maybe collector's items that my dad gave me to hold on to until I was older or just whatever the thing might be. And I'm selling all of this just so that I can get high for a little while. The thing is, too, is that, you know, you were talking about living in that place where you're constantly just looking forward to that next high, that next party, that next good time. I did that a lot. You know, I can remember many times where the whole day was wasted that, you know, I I could be with friends and we could we, we we were hanging out. We were with each other, but we couldn't see that. And all we could see was none of us has anything and we need to find some. So you need to be calling who you know, and you'd be texting who you know, and you know, we'll, we'll go down the street to this guy. And like our whole day was used just trying to get something so that we could get high. And then once you finally get it and you get high or you have that party, it's never as great or fulfilling as you made it out to be in your mind when you were looking forward to it. And so I know that for a lot of people too, especially with some of the harder drugs, um, I I personally have never used heroin, but I know people that have. And what they say is that you're always chasing that first high. And the first high is always the best high and nothing else will ever match that. And that's why you have people that usually they're taking more and taking more and doing it more often because they're trying to get to that first high the way that it felt. It feels good, but it's not like it was that first time. And if I just get a little bit more, then I might be able to attain that. And so Mm -hmm. essentially you are, and that's, where the term junkie comes from, you know, you're just like a fucking gerbil or a hamster on a wheel, just running around and round and round. And you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. I will say that it's less scary when you're in it. And it's more scary when you're watching someone that you care about who is going through that. Because like you said, when you're in it, there's a lot of lies. There's a lot of denial. You're, you're making up all these fantasies, but I think that's why it's important If we have a friend, if we have a loved one that we see are going down that path and we love them and we care about them, we should be willing to have that that tough conversation like your manager did with you. Because I know that for me, a lot of the dark places that I was able to come out of, it was because of friends or loved ones that were willing to sit me down and have that tough conversation, have that, you know, that quote unquote, come to Jesus talk. Like this is, 
this is reality, bro. Let me, let me, let me lay it out for you because you're living in a fantasy to start that conversation with someone that you care about. It's hard. It's tough because you don't want to chase them away. You don't want to hurt them. You want them to still love you and care about you. But, you know, oftentimes I think that it's so important to finally have that talk because usually that is the thing that can wake people up in the throes of addiction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, you make you 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 mentioned um, a good point there around sort of the horror of addiction can can be experienced on both sides of it. You know, it can be experienced by the person that's watching somebody that they love or they care about go down a dark path. I think ultimately, you know, you, you said that somebody that's in the throes of it doesn't kind of feel that. But I think I think there are times, you know, those kind of like fleeting moments as an addict where you think about life without that drug that you're addicted to think about what life would be like and that that thought i mean for me was terrifying at one point especially with weed you know i i would smoke it every single day multiple spliffs um i'd smoke a fucking lot and whenever i took the time to think about okay you know if i stopped this you know life without it it would scare the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for, for an addict, that is where the horror is. And again, that, you know, that's something that I touch on in the book for Elwood when he's trying to think beyond that next hit and kind of finds that it's almost impossible. You can't like that's it's, it's a really scary thing to try and imagine yourself overcoming this thing that sort of that, that owns you, that has this grip on you. And yeah, you know, like you say on the flip side, it's it's horrific for someone to to have to watch someone that they love or they care about go down that dark path. You know, I've I've had you know, like I said, I've I've had a few friends that have gone down really awful awful paths and I've and I've watched and the, the, you know, there was one time when I did try to kind of, you know, talk someone out of it and it, you know, and that escalated into something really bad, you know, and and it's yeah, it's it's not nice. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, when it comes to addiction, it, yeah, it, you know, it isn't just the horror for the addict, but it's the horror for the people that care about them and love them as well. Yeah. So you, you mentioned Elwood Cathis. He's the, the main character mm. in your novel. He's quite nuanced and broken when we meet him in the, yeah. the book's opening. Though there are definitely other factors at play without getting into spoiler territory, for most of the novel, he's battling his own mind. And so I, I love what you did there. It's a very psychological novel. With my debut novel, The Window, it, it's very similar. It's, it's more psychological and there's a lot of, of addiction um, being being talked about there. And so I know that it's hard to make a novel out of that. So let me ask you, was was it difficult for you to keep the story flowing while spending so much time just inside the head of your protagonist? I guess it was at times. I think for me, there were, there were, there were some things, there were some driving forces behind what Elwood was doing, behind, behind him wanting to recover. There was obviously this this sort of this kind of distant idea that that maybe he'd rekindle his his writing career, but the main you know driving force was was his daughter. I have a daughter. I didn't at the time when I was you know heavily addicted to 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 stuff, but 
for me, that was kind of part of the, when I was kind of thinking about this story, I kind of, I, I kind of sat down and, and, and said, right, okay, I want, I want to write a story about an addict um, that's trying to overcome their addiction. And, and at the time I was a dad, I kind of, I thought back to how I was when I was addicted to, to MDMA, to weed. And I kind of thought to myself, what if, what if I would have had Aubrey, Aubriella as my daughter? I kind of thought, what if I would have had Aubriella at that time? what would I have been thinking? What naturally she would have been the driving force behind me wanting to get over it. And that kind of, that fueled a lot of, I mean, any, at any point within this story that Elwood thinks about his daughter, Eloise, or she is mentioned, it's, it's all my daughter. It's me thinking about, you know, how, how it would have been for me if I would have been a dad at the time when I was really bad I guess at times maybe it was a bit difficult, but I always came back to myself. I always brought it back to myself and imagined, you know, I've, I've not been addicted to heroin. Um, I've known people that have, but I always just kind of brought it back to myself and my own addiction and, and the fact that I am a father and I used that as the driving force behind it, mm. I guess. So it was never too difficult. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I can relate because my main character mark in the window he was addicted to meth and i've never done meth but i once again i yeah like you i've known people that have been addicted to it but i was still able to put a lot of myself into that in terms of the other things that i was addicted addicted to the things that i had experienced and especially the damage that it did to the relationships in my life, whether romantic or otherwise. So yeah, that did, it made it a lot easier because it was coming from the heart. You know, for me, having read your novel, I can imagine that it, you know, if, if you are sort of putting yourself in an Elwood shoes and putting your daughter in his daughter's shoes, that you probably ended up through that writing just falling more in love with your daughter. And it just probably helped solidify in your mind that like, I'm never going to take her for granted. It, would, would I be remiss in saying that? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it comes through. It definitely comes through. And, and yeah, that's, it's, that's an interesting thing to think about that a lot of the times when people come out of an addiction, there's usually a, a driving force that is pushing them, pushing them, pushing them to get through, to fight that difficult fight, to overcome that demon of addiction. And usually that thing is a relationship of some sort, whether it is a, a family or a friend or, or you know, a, a significant other. And so once again, we're talking about horror. We're talking about this genre that oftentimes from people on the outside looking in, they think it's all just about, you know, ghosts and demons and blood and gore. But really at the at the core of horror, I believe it's about relationships. It's about people and and the reality of what goes on in, in human lives. And it's not all rainbows and butterflies and puppy dogs and long walks on the beach there's some darkness there there's some scary stuff there but as long as we don't lose sight completely of those good 
things. Even when we find ourselves in the middle of, of the darkness, not seeing the light, we can remember that the the light was there and we can have the faith and the hope that it's still going to be there. We just got to get out of the darkness. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it, it, it's a good point that you make. And I mean, there's some good examples of, of, of that. I think, I guess if we think about Stephen King, you know, you mentioned The Shining earlier. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to get too spoilery with this, but I guess The Shining and its sequel, Dr. Sleep, both deal with addiction, um, alcoholism in both mm-hmm. cases, mm-hmm. but very different in terms of one of them, I guess, is very much the kind of there is no light and you know it's ultimately a doomed path for for this character and the whereas the other one there is there's exactly what you're talking about there you know there is there's that reason to recover and there's that light at the end of the tunnel and and ultimately redemption i think you know for me personally at the time i had to look at myself and my situation um the empty shelves, you know, the empty drawers, the stuff that I'd gotten rid of and, and, and think about the things that, 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 um, you know, that, that my manager had said to me and, you know, I'd, I'd written, I'd, you know, I'd written stuff before that. Uh, and I'd written a little bit during as well. And it was all crap. It was all crap. And, and again, that's, you know, that was another thing that that fuel that was some of the inspiration behind Elwood. You know, I talk about some of the books that 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 he wrote when he was a when he was an addict and that he thought that, you know, by taking this drug, it would, you know, open up, you know, his his you know, his, his creative senses and he and he'd come up with, you know, much better things and stuff when actually, you know, in fact, he didn't, you know, it was crap. And and it was the same for me. And and I always wanted to be a writer. And I think for me, it was, you know, a mix of sort of looking at the stuff that I'd, that I'd lost, the material possessions that I'd lost. Uh, I'm not a materialistic person, but I guess there maybe were some things that were quite dear to me that, that I'd gotten rid of. And, and mm-hmm. also the stuff that I'd, that I'd created that I just thought this isn't, you know, this isn't where I want to be and I can do better than this. Yeah, and I think for me that was kind of the driving force behind sort of trying to yeah sort myself out. It's interesting that the cabin that Elwood goes to stay at is very empty. It, it, there, there's just there's an emptiness there. Like the house, it doesn't feel lived in. It almost seems as if when he was going there, that was a a bit of a comfort, getting away from the hustle and bustle. But then when he's there, it starts to play a different role and leads him to feel even more alone. And, yeah. and I think that that probably happens a lot with addicts. I mean, I, I, know, I know for me, I got to a point when I'm looking around my room and I'm just like, where is all my stuff? You know, where did all my stuff go? What do I have to show for it? You know, I have a bunch of ash and an ashtray, essentially. Yeah. Um, like, and, I might and, as well have just set all my stuff on fire. Yeah. And, and you know, and for, and for me, I think I think I kind of wanted that that initial arrival at the villa and him, you know, he doesn't walk around and look at too much on that first night. But when he does and kind of he kind of learns what the place is like and, and, you know, and ultimately what the sur- surrounding sort of lake is like, 
it's kind of you know a reminder of how he is how you know and what he's become you know just sort of empty and disused and you know like kind of forgotten which is what happens to to a lot of addicts i guess and yeah. and i wanted i kind of wanted the location of the the book to reflect that or maybe even you know he's he was like the the refrigerator there was stuff inside but it was just rotten and nasty <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah wow. the refrigerator oh god that reminds me you mentioned um you mentioned sarah earlier from requiem for a dream yeah you mentioned her refrigerator was trying to kill her right and the, that is like that is one of the uh you know and, and again something that gets touched on in the novel you know like that in terms of the horrors of addiction is you know that with the withdrawals and I, and I guess with some drugs the hallucinations that can yes. come along with that um i mean she yeah she imagined that her refrigerator was trying to kill her i was yeah. I mean, great fucking film requiem yeah. for a dream and that scene in the film is terrifying it's it terrifying. is it really is i mean who'd have thought it you know that a scene where a refrigerator is trying to kill someone could actually be scary and not laughable but yeah. Fucking hell it is. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I mentioned it in my interview with Calvin Ellis. And so now that I've got you here, I've got to ask, what was the inspiration for your creepy astronaut in Those You Kill? Because, I mean, it, it, it plays a role, but even for people that haven't read it, that the art of the astronaut has made it out in into the the mainstream where did that come from what was the inspiration i guess initially i kind of i wanted each of the hallucinations to almost kind of i don't want to no i don't want to get too spoilery with my okay. i guess oh no all that i will what i will say about it though is i, I guess there was a, there was a driving force behind i guess the 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 thought process of the character the things that they say and the reasons that they were doing what they were doing, which kind of link to, to Elwood and the overall story. But honestly, I, I, I wanted something that was really fucking cool. And I thought that an astronaut floating in a super, we call them a supermarket over here. Do you call them a supermarket? Yeah. Store. Supermarket or grocery supermarket. Store. I thought just the image of an astronaut floating in a supermarket and likewise the image of an astronaut floating in the woods, I just thought was so fucking cool and not something that I've ever seen anywhere else. And that's why I can't, that's one of the main reasons why I went for that character. What I brought up to Calvin was, I, are you familiar with the band Brand New? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, they came out with an album called Deja Intendu. And this is the cover. It's just this astronaut floating above the water. When I read your book, and then eventually I saw the artwork from, wasn't it a contest that y'all did? Blood Rights Horror yeah. did, did a contest? Okay. Um, and I, I just, I constantly thought of this album. So I was just, I was wondering if maybe you were a brand new fan and that's where it came from. Um, but what kind of music do they do? It's changed, but it's kind of like emo rock. Um, oh, emo rock. Okay. I'm yeah. a big, my chemical romance fan. Okay. So I, I mean, 
similar, but not quite. Um, did, not quite did emo. Ever, did you ever listen to Senses Fail? No. Okay. I'm trying to think of other similar ones, but I'll 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 send you a couple of songs to check yeah, out. Yeah, send them through. Send them through. Um, but so that's what I thought about. But then, yeah, what you just said, talking about the the astronaut in the woods, that actually makes me think of E.T. You've seen the movie E.T., right? I have, yeah. You remember the part when just out of nowhere, essentially, those astronauts just show up? It, it's, yeah. I mean, they're, they're not astronauts. They're in, you know, supposed to be suits that keep them safe from, you know, the poison that they think the alien might have. But that is also terrifying when the astronauts are in the house and they're just walking through and all you hear is just like the breathing of the, the, the mask, the machine. It's creepy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that was actually pretty creepy. Um, I've not watched E.T. in years, actually. Um, I've got it downstairs on Blu-ray. Um, you should rewatch it. I rewatched I it fairly recently and it's amazing. I can't believe how well that movie has held up. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to add. I mean, you know, I, I, I think a, a, a floating astronaut with a smashed visor and blood coming out of it is pretty creepy already. Yeah. But I did want to add another kind of element of creepiness, and that's why I, I guess, kind of the only way that that he speaks is through the sort of communications thing on his wrist. There's no voice that comes from from within, and and there's nothing that can be seen from yeah. within as well um so yeah i guess aside from sort of the stuff that would be spoilery i just thought he the whole image was cool as fuck yeah i agree it's very and essentially that's what we want to write right yeah you know yeah. if we think that something seems cool as fuck then we write it every every scene where the astronaut shows up is very unsettling um and and those scenes like stuck with me they stuck with me to the point where i will say this that the scene that you mentioned in the the convenience store or the the, the supermarket that inspired me to put a similar scene into my novella the potted plant there's no astronaut um but there is there's a similar scene in like the the walk-in cooler that is creepy as fuck <laughs> oh okay i've got that on my wish list i'm gonna I'll, I'll have to i'll have to pick that up then sooner yeah. rather than later and i think when you get to the scene you'll 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 realize it you'll be like oh, okay <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess yeah that 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 answers my question like, good enough it was it wasn't inspired by brand new i'll um, i'm okay <laughs> I'm disappointed. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, all right, I, I want to read another quote. This following quote from your book, Those You Killed, it's not about addiction, but as a horror writer myself with a wild imagination, I resonated with it. So here's the quote. Take a walk through any forest at night. And you'll see whatever your mind wants you to see out there in the dark. Trees become torsos. Branches become limbs. He'd always thought that was the key to writing good horror. Letting your mind wander to places where there was no horror and finding it there anyway. It was an art. Seeing the terrifying 
that lay beneath the okay. This quote, you followed through on this in a number of ways in your book by taking the ordinary and making them sinister. So are you willing to share, you've already talked about the astronaut, but I'm, I'm sure there are others. Are, are you willing to share some of your other personal favorites uh, from those you killed, your use of this tactic, taking the ordinary and making it sinister? First of all, that, that quote in and of itself comes from my own experiences. So um, when I was younger, I used to, um, I used, I used to go and meet with friends in, in the neighboring town. Um, I guess that's what you'd call it. Um, and, you know, and we'd, 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 we'd get high, we'd drink and what have you. Um, but the route that I would have to take back would be through a, uh, what we call a country park. So that, you know, that there were woods that I would walk through and I would always find myself walking through there at a ridiculous time, you know, the early hours of the morning. And whenever I, whenever I did used to do that walk, it was always so fucking scary. Well, I always did it every single time because I've always, I've always, and, and it's one of the things that, that friends of mine have always said about me that is like, is, is just, they've always found really weird is that I, I love to be scared. I, mm -hmm. I do love to, 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 to feel fear. And whenever I used to walk along sort of these dark paths through these woods, I would always make a point of looking out into the trees and fuck me i would see everything out there you know i would see all kinds of different shapes and think that i could see you know people moving around out there and stuff and it would scare the shit out of me but i would absolutely love it and it would fuel some of my ideas and and ultimately you know it's 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 kind of inspired that quote that i put into the book but i guess in terms of sort of other stuff that crops up in the story uh i don't know the everyday becomes horrific i guess I guess the scene where, you know, he notices a spider. Oh man, that, that I mean, there's a, there's a few people that have, when they've been reviewing, they've, they've mentioned that scene or, you know, people have gotten in touch with me and mentioned that scene. I mean, you know, spiders, I'm not, I'm not too scared of spiders. Uh, I prefer bigger spiders. If I'm totally honest, it's the smaller spiders that scare the shit out of me. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. The, 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 the scene where, where he encounters a few cobwebs, I guess that's that's pretty terrifying for yeah, some, for many. I can agree. I can agree. I, and I'm like you. I'm not. I don't have a fear of spiders per se, but the thought of a spider under the sheets, under the covers, with me in my sleeping bag, whatever that that is terrifying. And yeah, these spiders you talk about, they're they're in a bedroom. So. <laughs> mm -mm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess another one, all, all that I'll say is the game, I guess the game of tag. Um, mm. I sort of, I take, I take the idea of that and do a, something else with it in the book, which even, which personally for me, that whole scene is one of the, the, the scariest things that I have written, uh, you know, to, to then read back on and it actually scares me. It actually gives me the creeps. But I won't say any more on that because I don't want to, you know, sort of ruin that for people that might not have read the book yet. No, you you clearly had a lot of fun writing this novel. And it reminds me of it in the way that you are able to touch on 
a myriad of different fears. Like you didn't just focus on one or two and just dig and dig and dig. I mean, there is something for everybody to be creeped out about. And then like, like I'm talking about with that quote that I read, you were able to take the stuff that normally isn't scary and add an element so that, you know, I think that after people read your book, you know, and, and, and it's still just sitting with them that going to a cabin, going to a convenience store, driving by lighted billboards, walking through the woods, taking a swim in a pond, being in a house alone, opening a fridge, getting in a car, opening the glove. Like there are so many things to be terrified of now. And so I, I appreciate that because you did a lot of description it's mm-hmm. your, your, your writing style is very heavy on description, which is a, a, a very similar to, to Stephen King in that way. But you don't allow the reader to get bored with it. I found myself, I, I'm the kind of person that sometimes if there's a big block of text when I'm reading and it's just description, I start speed reading and I'll, my mind will just jump over stuff and I'll just see little words. But the way in which you write, I got into the habit of knowing that when you were describing something, I couldn't just move past it because I might miss something kind of spooky that's like hidden right in the middle of it. So bravo on that. I mean, first of all, thanks a lot for the comparison to it because it is my favorite novel of all time. So that's probably the biggest compliment that I've had so far from anybody about my book, that it reminded you of it. Um, The point that you make about people being kind of, terrified about the everyday things afterwards that's exactly what i kind of set out to do i guess and i guess you kind of do the same thing that you know as as writers we want people to feel things Mm -hmm. um in the moment and i guess as a bonus you know we scar them for life and (laughs) they feel things (laughs) after they've read the book you know like you you know, like you say, if they're ever walking through some woodland and if they think, shit, is there an astronaut floating around here or something like that, then then I've done a great job. Yeah. And, and you have. And I, I like that you brought in that detail that you shared from your own experience of being younger and walking through the woods and creating those things in your imagination, because essentially you were able to capture that childlike wonder and bring it into your own writing and once again i think as as writers as authors hopefully that is one of our goals to give people a fantasy world to spend some time in where we don't have to follow all the normal rules and i i i think that one of the things at least for me as a reader or as a watcher of film One of the things that I love is that it is an excuse and an opportunity to be able to go back to that childhood imagination that for many of the things that we do in life now as adults, like we have to put that aside. We can't lean into that. We have to be serious. We need to be grounded in reality. And so literature and film give us that escape. And for most people, when they pick up a horror novel, they want to escape to a place that is going to give them some goosebumps, that is going to make their their hair stand on end. It's going to make them have to stop and look behind them at the noise they heard, even though they know there's nobody else in the house. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, if that is the goal, then you definitely um, accomplish that goal with this book. And 
I'll use that as a transition to that. There are we've 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 announced this publicly already, but for those that don't know, I'm currently narrating the audiobook for those you killed, and I I have created my own little sound booth in my bathroom. That's where I do my recording. That's where it sounds. Oh, okay, the, the best. Ooh, I'm getting I'm getting some insight into the process. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what I realized when I when I first narrated Haley Newland's book, um, Take Your Turn, Teddy, I sent her all of the finalized audio. But then when I went back and listened to it again in, in headphones, I realized that in some of the clips, there was this background buzzing noise and I couldn't figure it out. And I finally, what I realized was it's the lights in my bathroom. And so I went back and re-recorded it. And so from that point on, when I go into the bathroom to record uh, audio, all the lights are off. So I'm in a dark bathroom oh, wow. and I just have my iPod, uh, my iPad in front of me with whatever I'm reading. And so there are numerous times where I've had to stop because like I creep myself out. And so <laughs> I, I can say in narrating your book, there have been moments where I have just gotten creeped out. And one of them was that spider scene. You know, you, your, your brain can play tricks on you. And I was reading that scene and I thought I felt something on my foot. And so it's like instantly like, no, stop record, turn the light on. I'm like, what was that? What the fuck? <laughs> uh so yes you've you've managed to uh creep me out on multiple occasions and now you know i love going back through this book a second time and and getting creeped out in different ways but also like you know the that first scene where elwood encounters this astronaut it stuck with me to the point that like i said i i I put the scene into one of my uh stories that was inspired by that so i i think that you know i'm excited for more people to get a chance to experience this story um you know i know that a lot of people have very big tbrs and and they can maybe only read a certain amount of books but that's the the gift of audio is it gives us the opportunity when we're driving or in the shower or taking a walk that we can get some of that reading time in and so i'm excited for people that maybe haven't read it in the book to be able to experience it um through audio when it comes out so you know that's that's my plug uh for for those you killed and um you're you're giving me the opportunity to give another plug too because the bonus episode will be one of the chapters from that so thanks for that opportunity just to build on that plug i mean the 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 test files that you've sent to me have been absolutely incredible um you know i played them to um to uh friends and family and they've been absolutely blown away. Um, the other night I played the, the latest ones that you sent to me. Um, I, I, I played those to my partner the other night, Charlotte, and she was, she was as astounded as I was. I mean, you know, you, you sent a couple of bloopers, which were amusing, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, the, the fact that you've, um, that you've put on different voices mm. for some of the characters is just, 
it's just blown me away. And, you know, and like I, I kind of said to you, you've just elevated the story. You've just taken it up a, a, a whole other level. Um, and I think, you know, even for people that have read the story already, uh, I'd encourage them to, you know, if they've got, a, you know, some spare money to, to, to download the audiobook when it comes out, because you've just made it something else entirely. Really, really pleased with 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 what you've sent me so far, Thomas. So so thank you. Um, glad to hear that you've been scaring yourself as well. You know, as as right, I, I guess it's right. You know, I touched on it earlier when I said, um, you know, some of the stuff that I'd, I specifically the sort of the the tag scene in the book when I've read it back myself and it actually creeped me out. Mm. I think you know, as as a writer, if you can read back something that you've that you've written yourself and it and it scare you then you've done a great job. Yeah. So, I hope to give you that experience when you're, when you listen to the full audiobook. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm going to uh, have to listen to it in my bathroom in the dark. Yeah. Or maybe walking through the woods at night. Oh, <laughs> that would be creepy. The most scared that I've ever been listening to an audiobook. It was either the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020. So fairly recently, but there is in my apartment complex, there is a, a little lake and there is a, a sidewalk around it. Now they have some lights around it, which is nice. But at the time, there were no lights. And so it, it's pretty dark if you're out there at night walking around. And so I was walking out there and I had my headphones on and I just started the audiobook for 20th Century Ghosts by Joe Hill. Oh, yeah. Have you ever read that collection? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So the first story in that collection, it's called Best New Horror. And I was listening to that and it creeped me out. Like I had to, at one point, like I had to stop it and like take my headphones off so that I could like hear what was coming behind me. But that's the story. Are, are you familiar? Do you remember that story? It's, it's, about, yeah. it's about an editor. And so somebody sends him this story, but it's that the the creepy guy who's murdering people and there's smiley faces involved um but yeah it just I, I don't know something about it and hearing that i just i wasn't ready for it and you thought creepy murderer guy was following you around the lake yes i was <laughs> You're crazy, man. I mean, my, my, my partner, she was like going out for walks in the woods at night, listening to nightmares and dreamscapes, dreamscapes. And I was like, wow. You found yourself a good one, man. I, I have. You, I really have. And if you can scare her, like she needs to be the one you test new stories on. And if you can get her creeped out, then like, you know that you're going to creep other people out because she's walking through the woods, listening to horror books on audio. <laughs> <laughs> my wife. When we first met, she'd never watched a horror movie, never read a scary book. I mean, she was just not about being scared. And I have <laughs> I have changed that. I have changed that. And she is such a trooper. But she's I mean, she's watched some scary shit now up to this point. I'm, I'm still working on it with uh, with 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 Charlotte she's i mean she she likes vampires i've been introducing her to horror films that she's not seen uh you know so i've and and i've kind of gone for like sort of you know the sort of what are considered some of the scariest films ever made you know so i introduced her to hereditary oh yeah uh, i showed my wife too and she was uh, like why did you show this to me what well, god she she laughed 
She ended oh, wow. up laughing at parts in it. She was laughing. And, and I was like, oh, my God, why are you laughing at this part? Um, but I showed her, what's the, the one that she's found scariest so far? Mama. Oh, yeah. Mama, you know, the Guillermo del, Tor- del Toro? Mm-hmm. Del Toro, wasn't it? Yeah. That's the one that she's found scariest so far. Yeah, I'm trying to think what what my wife has found found the scariest, but I my know just doesn't like noises. She doesn't like weird noises. And in Mama, the um so the the, the ghost of that woman, she makes a really weird kind of like mm. creaky groan sort of noise. If I ever bring up the grudge, oh my god, the little boy in the grudge, that horrible sort of like noise that he makes. Yeah. yeah, she, like that. my wife doesn't like jump scares. That's the kind of stuff that she doesn't like. Um, but yesterday I introduced her um, for the first time from dusk till dawn. And classic. I made her go into it blind. So I didn't tell her it was a vampire movie. And okay. so when, when the change happens, when Salma Hayek, changes like i looked over and like her jaw just dropped and she kept looking at me and she was like what the hell what is going on what is this and like as it kept going she just kept saying i feel like i'm watching a different movie what the hell (laughs) i mean that's an incredible movie i mean quentin tarantino is an awful actor he's an amazing writer and director but he's an awful actor but that movie was just so damn good um and yeah like the you know the fact that it just switched from i guess kind of like a crime gangster movie to a to a full-on vampire film halfway through was just incredible the series was really good as well if you watch that the tv show really good really good well worth a watch i actually also she saw i she came into the room i was only about 15 minutes into it but i was watching evil dead 2 you know, that movie is just batshit insane. Yeah. And so she was just like, what is this? She came in there and she w- she had like her her iPad and her headphones. She was going to just get in bed with me, but watch her own thing. But then she ended up watching that whole movie. And she was just like, wow, I could not take my eyes away from it. She's like, that is my kind of horror. That is just crazy. And it's kind of funny. And so that's where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to show her from dusk till dawn. But now my plan is maybe this weekend we'll watch Army of Darkness because I somehow I've never seen Army of Darkness. I've never seen it. Um, wow. So it'll be a you're in, first you're in time for a treat. Both of us. You're in for a treat with that yeah. one. <laughs> I'd imagine so. And then if she likes that too, then maybe I'll talk her into watching. Um, what is it? Ash versus Evil Dead. Is that what the show is called? Yeah. 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 Uh, absolutely incredible. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. You you definitely need to watch that. It's done now, right? Like they've finished the yeah. show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's finished. I think they're they're working on something else though. I think there might be a new movie okay. coming out next year. I saw something about that, the year now, of the I'm, Deadites or something. I'm one of those people that I tend to, at least I've gotten to the point where I don't always like to start watching a show if it's not finished because I hate mm. waiting. 
And then my mind gets filled with so many different shows. And like, I mean, even now there's so many shows that are just ongoing that are in my brain. And then when a new season comes out, I feel like I have to watch the whole, you know, everything up to that point to remember anything. There's too much that there, there is. There's too much. And we're in that whole kind of there's There's that like kind of binge culture now, isn't there? Which, yeah. which is another form of addiction. Yes. You, know, you become addicted to <laughs> yes. the show, um, which actually incidentally is forming um, the basis of my next novel. Oh, um, so you didn't even mean to segue into that, but we kind of have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so the next the next novel that I'm working on will it will focus on a character that is obsessed with a TV show. And before the finale is aired, the world goes to shit, basically. So kind of imagine sort of the stand, but rather than the survivors trying to sort of defeat any kind of bad guy or, you know, find god or whatever it's just a guy trying to find the final episode of a show that he really loved wow that's essentially gonna be it it reminds me a little bit of misery too like in you know annie wilkes with you know her obsession with misery and then the way that it ended and no i need to this is not the real ending i need the actual ending i mean she was a scary character yeah, wasn't she? she was a scary character. I guess another kind of addict, if we, yeah, for sure, you know, if we think about it, yeah. Is there any estimate on when this book might come out? Hopefully next year. As I'm in currently 2023. 2023. Yeah. Because uh, I am, I'm currently working on my next book, which is a collection of short stories, mm. which was supposed to come out end of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been dragging my feet with it, le- allowing myself to be distracted by anything and everything. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to kind of knuckle down with that and get that finished soon and get that out this year and then focus on, on, on the novel, which is called Finale, by the way, uh, which, should, which should hopefully <clears throat> come out next year. Fingers crossed. Right. Good to know. And is this short story collection are are you publishing through Blood Rights Horror again? Yeah, if they'll have okay. if they'll have me, um, right. I hope that they will. Um, uh, those you killed as those you killed has done has done pretty well. So yeah, I'm hoping that Blood Rights will will want to publish Iniquities as well. That's the that's the working title of it okay. at the moment. Cool. Yeah, and the reviews for those you killed is also, um, you know, a lot of very glowing reviews. You, you struck a chord um, with that story, and I've read, I think I've read one other story of yours. I read the short story that you had in Bitter Chills. Oh yeah, everyone to the table. Creepy as fuck. <laughs> so creepy it had it it reminded me a bit of the house that jack built do you see that oh, movie yeah i did There's, really long surprisingly long i think oh god that was almost three hours long yeah um matt dillon yeah. fucking incredible in that yeah film. the scene well there's a lot of scenes but specifically yeah. <laughs> something that he is doing in the walk-in freezer with the bodies trying to make them look more alive. That is what 
it, it, I, I thought of that when I was reading your story. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. I'm, I'm going to take you now to a place I like to call the carpenter's shed. And so everybody that I have on to the Into the Gloom podcast, I take them to the Carpenter Shed. I'm a big John Carpenter fan. I love his directing and his writing and his music. I just, I, I just, I'm a huge, huge John Carpenter fan. He is one of my horror heroes. And so mm-hmm. I like to, I like to ask everybody that I, I have on this one question. What is your favorite John Carpenter film? That's a tough one. Um, I mean, God, obviously Halloween was great fucking movie. Um, but then, you know, I guess he did a good job of the fog. Um, didn't he do, um, didn't he do escape from New York? Yep. Yeah. He fucking did. Didn't he? Um, and escape from LA and they great. They're great movies. They live. Oh my, one of the greatest lines ever. What's it that uh, Roddy Piper says? Um, I came here to kick ass and chew bubblegum and I'm all out of bubblegum. One of yep. the greatest lines of all time. Followed um, by the firing of a shotgun. <laughs> in a bank. <laughs> um, but then also, you know, I kind of liked, I mean, it might be an unpopular opinion, but I kind of liked uh, Vampires with, with James Woods. Um, okay. That's and, actually uh, that I haven't seen that one. How um, have you not I, seen it when you're a I, John, such a massive John Carpenter fan? I know I need to fix that. And I also need to see, is it escape from Mars? Is that what it's called? Oh my or, God. You've not seen ghosts of ghosts from Mars. Ghosts, ghosts from Mars. Yeah. I haven't seen that either. So the, those two well, are, are the ones I haven't seen, but when it comes to Halloween and the fog, I, I've seen both of those movies probably over 20 times each. Maybe but you've more. not seen, but you've not seen ghosts of Mars. I just lost a little bit of respect for you, Thomas. Oh, um, oh I better fix that. that then. I mean, that, I mean, that film is absolutely terrible, but it's, it's, it's so terrible that it's kind of good. It's one <laughs> of those films. I mean, um, they live is kind of like that. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. So corny. It, yeah, it really is. I mean, and it kind of it always reminded me of that Steve. There was a Stephen King short story. I think it was like the, the ten, the ten o'clock people, yeah. or the ten a.m. Yeah. people, or something. Mm. Kind of reminded me of that. Yep. Um, but I mean, I I was massively into to WWF when I was a kid. So like a movie with 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 Rowdy Roddy Piper in, I was all over it. Yeah. Um, but oh God, this is such a tough question. It's probably. I mean, it's probably going to be Halloween. It's yeah. going to be Halloween. You know, he created Michael Myers, one of the arguably the greatest horror villain of all time. Um, I guess, you know, rivaled maybe only by Freddy Krueger in terms of movies anyway. Um, I'm a sucker for Freddy Krueger. Love the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Halloween. Mm, no, actually, do you know what? No, I'm going to steer clear of horror. I'm going to go with Escape from LA. All right. Go with All Escape right. from LA. Fuck it. I love those films. Escape from New York and Escape from LA. They're great films. Love Kurt Russell. Love the whole idea behind it. Love the, the, the horror aspect of it. 
you know, the, the kind of the, the, the levels that people sink to when they're in a situation where there's no law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the dystopian horror. So yeah, I'm going with escape from LA. His work is just so vast, you know, and then you, you've got big, little, uh, big trouble in little China, which has, I mean, essentially fantasy elements. Yeah. Kurt Russell again as well. The pork chop express. I love yeah. that film. Oh yeah. God. Now that you mentioned that, that could be my favorite. <laughs> that could be my favorite. I, I, I do love big trouble in little China. Halloween is my favorite. And okay. it's, it is my favorite movie of all time. It's really? the one movie that I can watch no matter what time of year it is, what my mood is. I can just always put that movie in. And see, when I, see the, the, the first time that I watched it, I absolutely loved it. And I was obsessed with it for so long. But now, and there was a, I think it was, a, it was a couple of years ago now that I went through all of them. Um, and I, th- I think for me, sort of Halloween four is my favorite of the whole bunch. Um, I mean, Halloween three is the film that we all kind of just, you know, forget about, but, um, <clears throat> I just, yeah, I just think that Halloween four was just so much better. <clears throat> I think it was just because of the, I guess the amount of action, that was in it, you know, and I think there were more deaths as well. There weren't actually that many deaths in Halloween. Were there? Yeah, no, not really. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole franchise. I, I actually really like Halloween three. It's probably my third favorite. I, I have them ranked on my letterboxed account and the first four are in that order in terms of my favorite. Like it's Halloween one, then two, then three, then four. So four is is it's in my in the top half. I do I do love four. And it's that's one of those films too that's very nostalgic for me. And the opening, like the opening scenes, the shots of the the farm um, with the Halloween decorations and stuff and the the ominous music, that to me is the most fall autumn halloween um cinematography i've ever seen uh it's just mm. oh, it's so perfect it's so perfect i wish it was longer what did you think but, of the rob zombie remakes or reimaginings i guess i didn't care for the second one the first no. one it, it it's all right i mean it's you have to you have to take it for what it is it's rob zombie and his fingerprints are all over it. It's it's his style, which I can appreciate. Rob Zombie, um, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. Um, I, they're, I really... they're, incidentally, they're two of my favorite horror films of all time. Okay, especially House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, love that yeah. film. There's just so much that he does. That I, I mean, a lot of it is just like pu- pushing boundaries. He's very good at, at at pushing boundaries and the dialogue. He's very good at dialogue. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, it's natural and it's almost Tarantino. I mean, it's not quite Tarantino, but you could kind of compare it to Tarantino. Yeah. I mean, he's really not there, but in terms of blood one? and dialogue, there's probably no one closer to Tarantino than Rob Zombie. Yeah. 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 So I, I like the first Rob Zombie Halloween. The second one, I, I mean, I appreciate the fact that he was trying to do something different. Um, and he took some risks, 
I don't think they all paid off, um, but it's not my least favorite. You know, that will forever and always be Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> the one with Busta Rhymes. And Busta Rhymes. Thing. Yeah. And like, was it like, it was like Big Brother, wasn't it? Yeah, it was bad. Reality TV show. Yeah. God, it was awful. Trick or I mean, treat, H2- motherfucker. <laughs> H2O was not bad. I yeah. mean, that came out, I, I guess. How old are you? Can you even I'm 34. 34. Okay, I'm 35. Yeah. So yeah, H2O came out sort of when we were kind of teenagers, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and I actually, that was the first Halloween film that I ever watched, Halloween H2O. My first was Resurrection. So it's a miracle that oh, I kept God. going. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Uh, but H2O wasn't bad. It kind of, I think H2O captured a lot of the essence of the original. Yes. Um, yep. And yeah, I just thought that was just a really good horror film. And that, that made me want to, to watch the other Halloween films. Yeah. Halloween Resurrection was awful. I've still not seen the latest one though. Is it Halloween Ooh. Kills? I've not seen that yet. It's good. Is it good? It's good. I do want to see it. I loved it. I liked it better than Halloween 2018. I thought it was better. The trailers kind of, the trailers sort of gave away a bit. I kind of got the the idea that maybe the tables kind of get turned in it. And we, are are we supposed to end up rooting for Michael Myers in this film? That was the kind of vibe I got from the trailer. Maybe I'm way off the mark. Yeah. That was the vibe that I kind of got from the trailer. There are, I felt the same way too. I was a little upset when I watched, I didn't watch the final trailer they put out because I felt the one before that they'd already spoiled a little too much, but um, they did a good job of giving some swerves in the trailer, Mm. the way that it's cut. So it's, it's not fully what you'll be expecting, but if you are the type of person that, uh, are you a star Wars fan at all? I'm a star Wars nerd. Okay. Okay. Me too. How did you feel about the force awakens, especially all of the fan service and the nostalgia that they brought in? Did you like it or did you not like it? I loved it. Okay. Then I think you lapped it all up. Then I think that you will love this new movie because there's a lot of fan service. There's a lot of callback and okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm good with that, man. Like I am good with that. I know that so many people are like, Oh, the force awakens was just a rehash of a new hope. And I was like, well, that's, that's a fucking great movie, man. Give me more. Like, I don't, what the, (laughs) it's what a lot of people have said about the latest ghostbusters film. But again, I love that. See, I haven't seen it yet. I'm so excited though. Um, Do you follow his, his tag is the bookie man on Instagram. No, I don't. Okay. He he has been very adamant lately that that is the best Ghostbusters movie, the one that has come out. He said it's better than the other ones. I was like, "What?" But I haven't seen it. So, but I'm 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 excited and I've heard that there's a lot of fan service, which once again I'm good with that. So, there's a hell of a lot of fan service. <laughs> I'm I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to admit this in a public forum. It made me cry. Mm. I shed actual fucking tears in the cinema at this movie. It's so good. It it was like I came away thinking that was perfection. That that was absolute perfection. What they did with it, it yeah. 
you need to watch it. All right. Watch I'm, it. I'm excited then. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I cried in the force awakens. I saw it opening night and I cried. Oh my God. Which, which part did you cry at? Was it? Oh, okay. Well, we can, we can have spoilers about force awakens now, right? It's been I'm like five like years. To. Yeah. So I yeah. cried multiple times, but the first time I cried was when, <laughs> when, when Ray and Finn are running through the sand and they they're they're running and he's like well why don't we take that that ship and she says no that's garbage and then they keep running and then their ship blows up and it pans over and she says the garbage will do and it's the millennium falcon i cried like i teared up i like i couldn't handle it i knew it was coming i'd seen the previews but then also Chewie were home. I teared up at that, but then yeah, oh. of, of course, you know, uh Han and Ben on that know. was a hell of a scene. That I was still uh, just now, like I just got goosebumps. It's just giving me goosebumps it. as well. Yeah. Dude, and I get goosebumps and I tear up in Rogue One when Vader ignites his lightsaber and goes oh on. Oh my god. Like that, that moment, I mean. That was the Vader I always needed to see. That was the Vader yeah. I saw in my mind. And the we, actual, like, scary, like, yeah, scared. There, there was something really like horror. The, that, there was an element of horror in the Vader that we get at the end of Rogue One. Yeah. Absolutely. I like, yeah, that was just, that was absolutely incredible. It's one of my favorite moments in any Star Wars yes. film. Hands down. And because I had no, because it was completely unexpected. Yep. as well kind of had it in my head that maybe this 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 film is obviously going to end you know where a new hope begins but but wow to like to actually to completely marry up the way that it did and to and to have him appear yeah and yeah, it made again, me, it's given me it made me a believer in the fact that we as a society need a horror film set in the star Wars universe. And it needs to be Vader continuing to rid the universe of the Jedi that weren't killed through order 66. That would be incredible. I mean, there is, there's a, there's a comic book series that yeah. focuses on Vader. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think there is a, there's a star Wars novel that involves zombie stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, I've not read it. Uh, I've been meaning to. I, I, I do want to check out the Vader comic book series, though, because it is supposed to be really good. I read um, it. And yeah, is it good? It, it's so good. It's so good. All those comics are so good, man. Like and they fill in so many little things, too, like in, in just the, the story and the universe. And yeah i highly recommend the the comics the you know the the canon comics that came out in the lead up to uh the force awakens and since then but i mean even you know even like bringing it back to the whole point of this conversation you know, <laughs> yeah. anakin anakin skywalker you know had a you know had a compulsion you know he wanted i guess he he sought power didn't he you know, he was he was obsessed with 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 gaining this this ultimate power. And but beyond that, 
the reason why he wanted the reason the why was completely understandable, wasn't he was it? Addicted we found, to love. He was yes. addicted to love. We, yeah, and we found that out in what was it like episode three, which is actually, you know, unpopular opinion, my favorite of all of the Star Wars films, episode three. What it's not my favorite, that? but it's up there and it's powerful. And some of the most emotional moments in the Star Wars universe mm. happen in that movie. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, the, the confrontation with him and Obi-Wan on Mustafar is something to behold, isn't oh, it? Oh man. Yeah. I loved you, Anakin. You were my brother. Oh God. You were supposed to bring balance. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People are going to be like, what the fuck? I thought I was listening to a horror podcast. <laughs> <laughs> these these dweebs are talking about Star Wars. <laughs> oh, man. I can see it in your face when I asked. I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan. And you're just like, like, I'm a Star Wars nerd. <laughs> Me too, bro. Me too. <laughs> Let's bring this back around. Escape escape from L.A. That's Is that the answer you're going with in the Carpenter Shed? No, I'm going with Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Final answer. (laughs) Final answer. (laughs) All right. So now allow me to take you by the hand and lead you into a place that I like to call the King's Corner. Uh, Once again, this is where I like to bring all of my guests on the show and just ask, what is your favorite King book? You've already said it, but I want to hear a little bit more about why. But then also I want to hear from you what your least favorite King book is. Mm, okay. Um, so be thinking about that in the back of your mind, but in the front of your mind, what, what are some of the reasons that you fell in love with it? There's a lot of reasons. Um, I think, so first of all, I read it when I was quite young. Um, and I think kind of anything that involves kids in peril is more terrifying than anything else because kids are supposed to be safe. Yes. Um, They're supposed to, I guess there's almost a a part of all of us that sort of kind of thinks that kids are off limits. Um, But in it, they're not, uh, you know, and they get killed, you know, kids get killed in, in that book. And that was, that was terrifying at the time when I first read it as, uh, I mean, I tried to read it when I was, uh, I think I was maybe 12, um, didn't finish it because it's obviously a massive book. Uh, and then I came back to it again when I think I was maybe 14 or 15. I was still at second. I was still at what you call it. You'd call it high school. We call it secondary school over here. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah. One of the main reasons was that kids were, 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 were in peril and were being killed. They weren't safe. And that was something new, kind of new to me at the time. Um, I'd experienced it before with, I mean, the, the first horror film that I ever watched in my life, and I, I have very, very vivid memories of this, was a film called Clown House. Um, hmm. I've never seen which that. Which is kind of, it's, it's a mostly forgotten film now because there was a lot of controversy surrounding the director and some bad things that he did. Oh, um, okay. I'm, yes, I'm aware of it now that you say that. Yeah. I've never seen it. Um, but great fucking film. It had a young Sam Rockwell in, um, and that was, it was basically about a group of kids that were having a sleepover and some, some guys escaped from a nearby mental asylum. Um, the first place they came across was a circus. They killed a few clowns. 
dressed up as the clowns and then decided to go terrorize these kids at this house uh and and kill some of them as well you know like kids get killed in that film so it was that had been my only experience beforehand so when i so when i read it you know again it was and and that i mean that film it was aside from being the first horror film that i ever watched it was kind of the thing that sort of made me sort of think god i think i like horror you know Mm. this is this has scared the shit out of me but i like it and and i want to watch more um so then yeah so then i find this book where there's a clown and and you know again and it's killing it it wants to kill kids so yeah um yeah i've said it a couple of times now but yeah the fact that kids are in peril and and i think the fact that there was so much more to it you know like people that are kind of that are outsiders to it i guess that haven't read it they kind of they 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 think of if you mention it they're like oh yeah it's a clown you know that kills people but it really isn't you know the clown actually pennywise is not a major part of it you know it's you know the the the, the space demon is what it is um, yeah yeah appears in you know appears in many different forms throughout the book and you know and ultimately one of the one of the, the greatest horrors in the book is is the town itself and the fact that there's there's no protection for these kids you know the adults ignore a lot of what's going on and that made it even more terrifying because as a child you'd rely on an adult to you know to protect you and but but in it there's there's none of that they can't rely on any of the adults to protect them because it's a town where they ignore what's happening um and then i think you know some of the other sort of horrors that that crop up in it um you know there's there's a lot of phobias that are explored in it there's a lot of um you know there's oh god what's his name um the character that's got his mom is um you know telling him that he's ill and that he needs all of this medication um it's not stan god it's not stan who is it i always get uh, all their names mixed up so yeah i'm not even um, but you know but it, but almost like his mom becomes one of the horrifying characters within that novel because she's in complete control of him and she's telling him that he's ill and he needs to take all this medication and he's not capable of doing any of these things and that and that in itself is a scary thing and i mean beverly's dad you know he's he's one of the scariest characters in the whole book um a very human monster um and so yeah i just think the fact that it's so layered in that way there are so many different kinds of horror in it is why i love it so much yeah yeah and i i I fully agree with what you were saying too that for people that haven't read it they just think oh it's killer clown oh it's a scary book but this is a book about relationships and love and friendship and childhood and loss of innocence and you know, having to grow up too fast and feeling alone, but then also life changes and growing older and losing those friends and losing those relationships and the memories and suppressing them and acting as if they didn't actually happen. And what happens when, you know, you're willing to be honest with the past and what happens when, 
you know, if, if you've maybe not been around one of your old mates, you know, from 10, 15 years ago, and then you get back and all those memories come flooding back and how you can sort of pick up right where you left off. And like, I mean, it is, it is a powerful story about being human. It really is. And you kind of, you kind of touched on it there that like, you know, for me, you know, I read it, I read it as a kid and it, and it resonated with me so much. Then I read it as an adult and it still does in different ways. So I think that, that that's like the beauty of it is that you could read it as, as a youngster, as a teenager. Um, you probably shouldn't be, but why not? You know, um, but then you can read it as an adult and have a completely different experience and it still be an, an incredible one as well. Yeah. It can speak to adults and youngsters in different ways. Yep. And just, and I mean the format of it as well, you know, the fact that it keeps on switching between, you know, the present day and, and the past. And I mean, fi- you know, fifties America is, is a, is a wonderful thing to read about. There's so much, it's, you know, pure Americana, you know, for us Brits, um, I mean, me personally, I kind of lap that sort of stuff up. You know, I did recently with with McCammon's Boy's Life. I mean, that wasn't that was set in the 60s, but same sort of thing. There's a lot of, you know, iconography and, you know, just just stuff that you kind of that, that just it's just really cool. You know, it comes back to that point earlier where I was just sort of saying something's just really cool. It, it conjures up really cool images in your head. And you know, 50s America does that. Yeah. And again, the, the movies, man, the movies, they did. I don't know that there's kind of, there's mixed opinion on it, you know, but like the latest iterations, I thought Machete, I thought were absolutely fantastic. I actually thought they were better than, than the original, than the nineties miniseries. I thought they packed in a hell of a lot more from the books. Um, I thought it was great that they did it in two parts and it amounted to, God, it amounted to about five, six hours of oh, horror. A lot. I have mixed feelings. Um, chapter one, amazing chapter two lots of it was amazing there were parts of it i didn't care for i wish they would have done it differently um and then you know the tv miniseries that that was my first introduction to the story of it and so i've got a lot of nostalgia a lot of love but obviously you know when it comes to some of the acting and some of the special effects it's just not there um it is what it is um hey, Tim but, Curry was awesome. Tim Curry. Oh yeah, was Tim Curry. Incredible. No complaints with Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. I read it probably about 10 years ago. And I was working at a summer camp. And so that was really cool and I was like I was around kids and yeah, it was just it was a really interesting time to read that uh for the first time. But I have decided that this year I'm I'm really focusing on reading new books because there are just so many books I, that I haven't read. And so I'm trying to be very picky with my rereads because I can easily get sucked in. Same with movies where I'll just watch the ones I love over and over and over. So I'm trying to dial it back with how many books that I do rereads for. But one of the books that I've decided to read again is it. And so I'm going to be doing that this year. And what's interesting that you mentioned it, another book that I'm going to be reading this year, which will be the first time is just a couple of weeks ago, I went to half price books and I found a really nice hardback copy of boy's life. And so I bought it and I plan to read that this year because last year I read a couple McCannon books uh, and oh man, like, 
What a writer. Is, I mean, he, it was, it is so unfortunate that his career almost exactly coincided with King's and King as I mean, King is a phenomenal writer and he's my favorite. Stephen King is my absolute favorite writer, but it is, yeah, it's so unfortunate that McCammon has kind of has, has existed at the same time and has kind of gone under the radar yeah. a bit because I mean, in some ways he's better than King. And that, that's what I'm kind of learning after reading just sort of like four of his books. Um, I mean, The Wolf's Hour, I it, the greatest werewolf story I have ever read in my life. Wow. Um, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, when you just, when you like kind of just read the blurb, it sounds ridiculous. You know, it's about a guy in World War II that is a werewolf and he kills Nazis. Um, but it's so good. It is so good. And some of the sequences in it are absolutely incredible. Uh, so I would highly recommend that if you're, if you're on a McCammon journey, definitely get to the Wolf's Hour as soon as you can. And also okay. Swan Song, because Swan Song is yeah. essentially the stand, but better. It's better well, than the stand. That's what I've heard. And I, I know that some people feel that Boy's Life is essentially his it. And some people think that Boy's Life is better than it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is kind of it is it is kind of like it. You know, there's a lot of shared themes in terms of sort of loss of innocence and and I guess the setting of it. I wouldn't say that it's better than it, uh, but when it comes to Swan Song, I would say that it's definitely better than The Stand. Swan Song is the last book that I read that pretty much brought me to tears, mm. and that doesn't yeah. happen very often with books with me. I'm yeah, more I'm prone to cry way. at movies. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same way. I will cry in commercials. There are commercials that can make <laughs> me cry, but yeah, when it comes to books, um, they they really don't make me tear up as much. Um, but the Green Mile, man. Oh, the Green Mile makes Ooh. me cry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, back to um, McCammon. I have read Blue World, which is a collection of short stories. And then there's the novella at the end that's called Blue World. Oh, so good. So damn good. That novella. It is a, um, a, a porn star and a priest somehow hook up and there's a murder on the loose in this town oh, so so damn good so damn good i'm sold i'm sold it's so good man mm. but then in december i did the audiobook version of gone south and that one really not much horror to it but a great great story and so this year I'm going to do Boy's Life and then maybe even They Thirst just because I have the paperback version of it. And so that's his like, you know, his his Salem's lot. Cool. I think the next one that I'm going to go to is it's one that uh, my partner brought for me called. Uh, what's it called? I've got it right here. Speaks the Nightbird. It's a it's a witches. Ooh, OK. A witch, a witch based novel that he wrote. Um, so yeah, my partner bought that for me recently. So I think that's the next McCammon that I'm going to, that I'm going to delve into. Cool. Are you into witches? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, there's, there's a treat for you then in the potted plant as well. Oh, okay. There's a, okay, there, cool. there's, there's a witchy woman at the center of it all. <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to let you off the hook, man. You got to tell me. This doesn't mean that you're saying it's a bad book per se, but what is your least favorite King book that you've read? 
Stephen King isn't infallible, you know, he's written bad books. Yeah, uh-huh. He has. And I expect that, you know, if I carry on writing books, I'll write some bad ones too. Mm-hmm. Um, God, that's a tough question. Uh, there's a lot, there's quite, there's a few books of his that I've read and I've not, not enjoyed too do much. You wanna hear, I've, do you want to hear on, mine? Then. Give me yours. From a Buick 8. I yes. Uh, now, I've, I've seen I, actually just in the past few months, it keeps popping up. I keep people keep seeing people say it's their favorite. I, I just it, it wasn't. Those from- people are crazy. Those, <laughs> people, those people are crazy and they need to be committed. Um, it's it's not. No, it's not. I, I it's not a good book. Um, and I think actually I've read interviews with him where he kind of lost his way with it. He knows that he kind of lost his way with it. Um, I, when I initially read it, I, afterwards I was kind of telling myself, well, maybe this is one of those books that was about the journey. It wasn't about the end. Um, but actually, you know, I've reread it. I have read it more than once. And I think he just, he wanted to write about some characters and didn't know where he was going to take it. And then it just and then it just goes nowhere. Yeah. It really goes nowhere. And, and like he already wrote Christine and he already wrote the yeah. Tommy Knockers. So why are you trying to cram a you know and essentially creating a, an alien form of Christine? Yeah. It was yeah, it was a, it was a bad move. It was a bad move on his part. I mean, some of it really got to me. Like specifically the descriptions of what happened to a character when they were hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was tough. But apart from that, there wasn't really anything there that kind of, that, that kind of made me feel anything or did yeah. anything to me. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you that that's a really bad one. It may, it might not be, it might be sell. Okay. It might be sell. Is it though? You wouldn't be alone in saying that. There's no, I mean, that again, that was more or less for the same kind of reasons as from a Buick 8. It just kind of felt like it was maybe a good idea and it was going to go somewhere and then it just flopped. And I, feel like, I feel like that needed to be a short story. Yeah. And also a very rare occasion where the movie that they did was better. They did really? a movie with like John Cusack. Mm-hmm. And Samuel uh, L. Jackson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which was actually like better than the book. To be fair, though, that's happened a couple of times with King stuff. Um, in fact, John Cusack again. He was in. Uh, King wrote a short story called Fourteen Oh Eight. Have you read that one? Yes, I've read it and seen it. Yeah, the movie with John Cusack was so much better. They it just did so much more with it. Again, like the story there, that was disappointing. It just felt like it could have been a whole lot more. I think that's where King, that's where King falls down the most, in my opinion. Is is that where he's got this what seems like a great idea? And then it just goes nowhere Mm. or doesn't go where you want it to go. Yeah. And I think that some of that might just be the fact that he doesn't really, he's a pantser. He doesn't really think too far ahead. I mean, sometimes he, you know, he'll say he he has an ending in his mind, but other times he's just writing and just following the characters where they go. And, you know, just like people, which characters are based off of some people just wander around aimlessly and don't really accomplish Mm. much. (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna hang my hat on later. Ooh, his latest one. Okay. I'm gonna hang my hat on that. Um, I just think the his next to latest one. 
What next uh, to latest one? Yeah, because yeah, there was a Billy Sum. Billy Sum. Oh God, that was a bad one. Oh, see, I haven't um, read it yet. It's on my shelf, but I haven't read it. I liked later. I I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't you know, it's not like my top ten or anything, but I I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it, it's got its issues, but you know, I I can understand why a lot of people didn't like it. There was nothing original about it. You know, it was. It felt. You know, I, I mean, a kid that can see dead people immediately you think sixth sense it's been done before somebody yeah. i mean not not just a kid but somebody that can see dead people it's a trope that's been well trodden he didn't really do that reminded me of joyland as well it just it felt like joyland without the heart i mean joyland was a good was a good book yeah no joyland i love it and another hard case crime one because it later was hard case crime wasn't it um yeah. yeah joyland was a great book actually it's probably the best of the hard case crime books that he's done but yeah i just felt that with later he was he was delving into a trope that's been done before he didn't do anything new with it he dropped in a an, an absurd easter egg i love uh, that which I loved it. <laughs> I I did as well. I I loved it as well because obviously, you know, for reasons we've discussed that would become apparent to anyone that reads it after this. Um but it didn't further the story. It was it was no, straight fan service. It was. It was. And and I loved it and I almost cut afterwards when I had time to kind of die. I mean, I, what no, after the easter egg there was the there was the shocking twist reveal about his lineage i guess um which so that felt like it was just plugged in at the end to give us a shock ending yeah um after what was a kind of mundane story um and then when i had sort of time to digest it i was on a massive high from that easter egg massive high um i kind of just thought no like that's why he's given me that easter egg so that i'm on this massive high and i ignore the mundaneness of, of that story um so yeah i mean i didn't give it i posted about it on my instagram i didn't give it a a, a great review at all um i think i might have given it two two stars out of five maybe maybe three so i'm good yeah i'm gonna hang my hat on that one later all right yeah and that one of the things that annoyed me in it was how often he used that word later and also how often he said this isn't a horror why did he keep saying that like he was breaking i mean i'm i i i don't like it i generally do not like it when people break the fourth wall yeah and start talking to us as the yeah. reader um or look at if it's a movie that you're watching looking at the camera I find it quite, I mean, I was watching a recent episode of Cobra. I'm obsessed with Cobra Kai. Um, and, and it happened in a recent episode of that where a character looked at the camera and said something to us. And I just kind of, oh, I find it really cringy. <laughs> I find it really cringy. I actually can't think of any time where breaking the fourth wall has worked well. And apologies if you've done it in any of your the stories, office. Thomas. The Office um yeah for me for maybe. me are you are you talking about the american office yeah yeah the american okay have you watched the, the british office yeah the the american version of the office and the tv show for what we do in the shadows 
I see. I haven't watched that. We, we, me and my partner are going to start that. We did. We did start it the other night, but fell asleep because it was so late. Um, but do really so want to watch that because the movie. I really enjoyed the movie. My wife and actually, I just finished that, or you know, up to the point where they are. Actually, now that you've mentioned The Office, um, I think okay, breaking the fourth wall only works in comedy. I think yeah. it worked well in Arrested Development. Well, it happened and, a few times in that. In that, in the in the Office, and in what we do in the shadows, both of them, the premise is this is a documentary being filmed. So, I mean, is it really even breaking the fourth wall? I, I guess not really, no. not not in the sense that you're talking about being annoyed by it. So, mm. yeah. So, are there any other sheds or corners that you want to take me into? No, no. We're, okay. we're, we're done with that. You can take a deep breath. Um, and I'm just going to I'm going to ask you the final question as we wrap this up. What and, and you've you've already mentioned some of these. So if you want to reuse them, you can. But what are three addiction themed horror books or movies that you want to recommend to our listeners? I'm so glad that you've asked me that. Because it, it once again, it gives me a chance to plug my own work because there really aren't that many. Um, if we look at, I guess, drugs. So if we bring it back to, 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 to what my book is about, drug addiction, there are none that I'm aware of. And that was one of the reasons why I want, that was an, another one of the reasons why I wanted to write that book. Um, I think, you know, in horror, they explore all of the other kinds of addiction, um, very well trodden, you know, killing, raping, torturing, you know, sex. They're all explored in, in, in wonderful ways in, in, in a ton of different movies and books. But in terms of drug addiction, that hasn't been explored a lot. If we look at other kinds of addiction outside of drugs, then you said movies or books, right? Yeah, movies or books. I think um, I think alcoholism is explained and explored in a, a very sympathetic and detailed way in Doctor Sleep by King. Mm-hmm. And that's probably mm-hmm. down to the fact that he was an alcoholic for quite some time. Um, so yeah, I would say Dr. Sleep in terms of alcohol addiction, in terms of other kinds of addiction, I think, you know, when I mentioned American Psycho earlier, which, you know, focuses on, focuses on a character that has different, you yeah. know, kinds of addictions, um, many, many different habits. Um, again, I think that's explored in a, uh, a grisly and fun way. Uh, in both the book and the movie. Um, again, one of those rare examples where the movie is fantastic, like a brilliant adaptation of the book. See, if we're sticking with horror, it becomes a bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, if we were to go outside of horror, then I would say, I would probably say that the the number one, like, you know, book or movie that has en- that has kind of encompassed addiction in the best way was train spotting uh the book um and the movie uh i guess bringing it back to horror personally i would i would label requiem for a dream underneath the the horror umbrella it's funny that you mentioned that because i was thinking that um because i was thinking about the refrigerator 
um, and how scary that scene was. And also, you know, the lengths that we see some of the characters go to in that yeah, film. The I mean, the ending I'd, of that movie is just uh, yeah, brutal. Yeah, and you know, and as a young as as a young boy growing up and watching uh, Labyrinth with Bowie and 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 Jennifer Connelly, and then and then when I was older, seeing the uh, the levels that Jennifer Connelly sinks to in that film, in particular, there's one scene which obviously which became extremely controversial, um, which I, you, know, you can only you can only go and watch that on on porn websites now <laughs> you won't find that on youtube um i think the most controversial thing in that movie is david bowie's pants <laughs> and how they're like painted on him just like he's with all these kids and just like it's just there like <laughs> yeah it's 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 in your face i mean you know there's there's time there's parts in that film where you think you're gonna get poked in the eye yeah yeah um yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was horrific in Labyrinth. But yeah, Re Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, in fact, you know, yeah, more so than Train Spotting, I think Requiem for a Dream really showed like the horrific lows that yeah. people can go to when they're addicted to something. Yeah, and it shows so, the different um, types of addictions like we, you know, opened up talking about. Yeah. So yeah, let's throw that one in there as well. Okay. All right. So, but ultimately, people should read those you killed uh, should they really should if you haven't read those you killed yet you should really read it and in a few weeks <laughs> you should also get the audiobook version absolutely if you hate to read and you just like to listen then <laughs> you can listen to thomas gloom's wonderful wonderful texan accent as you <laughs> drive to work or have a shower or walk in the woods at night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, you can't plug it any better than that. Christopher Badcock, you have made it through your first podcast interview. How do you feel? I feel pretty good. I feel like um, there were maybe some things, uh, some books or movies that, that we didn't discuss that I would have discussed. And we, we wound up having a bit of a meandering conversation, but that's great. All, all the Halloween um, or Star Wars fans are going to love a part of this episode. <laughs> they really are. Um, and, you know, and you, and you managed to bring up Usher's sex addiction, which is great. Early um, on, too. I mean, uh, yeah, very early on. We got that out of the way quickly, didn't we? <laughs> uh, I never thought that that would come up on my first ever interview. <laughs> so bravo you're, you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> before we sign off if listeners want to connect with you where are the best places to do that um so i i am on instagram um i am called carpe noctem 86 but you can find me just by searching my name christopher badcock pretty unforgettable name and i don't just talk about my book I, I read books as well and post about them. So if you like books, especially horror, then yeah, come and give me a follow. Um, I am on Facebook as well. Uh, I'm not all private or whatever. So you can find me on there if you want to. Um, if you send me a friend request, I'll, I'll be your friend. That's about it. They're the only places that I, oh no, I'm on Goodreads. I'm on Goodreads as well. Yes. So if you want to come and follow me on Goodreads, then 
please do. Um, and if you go onto Amazon as well, I'm on there as an author. So if you go and find those you killed on Amazon, you can click to follow me as an author and then you'll get updates on any new books that I release when I stop procrastinating so much. Yeah. And when you read those you killed, be sure to leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads. And if you listen, be sure to leave a review on Audible because I'll, uh, I've said it before and I'll keep on saying it, but reviews are the lifeblood for indie authors. He is right. He is not, he is not making that up. Uh, reviews are arguably more important than sales. Yeah. Um, the more reviews that, that, that we get, the, uh, I guess, the, the more favorable the algorithms will be for us pushing our work out to, to more more people so yeah if you if you've read those you killed and you've not reviewed it yet then please do i'd really appreciate it and feel free to get in touch with me on on and on any of those platforms if you've got any thoughts on the book i'm always happy to discuss it with anybody but yeah uh thanks thomas for for this it's been it's been awesome i thought that i would struggle through this and there'd be a ton of awkward silences but i think there were only i think there was only once where i actually said i mean they're not going to know because you edited it out but they yeah. are going to know now because i'm bringing it up there was one time <laughs> when i said oh actually can you edit that bit out and let's start again um and there were a few uh, that i think every time i took a sip from my Donald Duck cup you were talking so we probably won't be able to edit that out so anybody that watches the video is going to see me drinking from that cup but yeah I didn't I didn't want to say that up front I didn't want you to have the nerves but when you made that request I was like there's no way so people are going to know (laughs) that you drank out of a Donald Duck cup but hey I mean you are human you are real you're being transparent here and it's okay to love Donald Duck it's 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 all right and I won't I won't tell them about the shrine you have in the corner to to him either (laughs) yeah that's not in view is it (laughs) all right well Christopher Badcock Thank you for entering into the gloom. Thank you very much for having me. We hope this episode haunts your nightmares. It's been an honor to scare you. Be sure to subscribe and also follow Into the Gloom podcast on Instagram for news on upcoming offerings. Until we meet again, remember to leave a light on. Ha 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 